Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, episode 51. How to be an enabler of virtual teams and not a micromanager. I'm Aaron Brown, Assistant Professor of Business and Finance at North Central University. And today we're joined by Carl Manello. Carl is a senior leader for process improvement and program management. Today, our discussion will focus on virtual teams and how to generate clear deliverables for team members. Welcome, Carl, and thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. Well, thank you for having me, Aaron. I'm very excited to be here. So, Carl, in previous episodes, we've been talking about things unique to businesses and organizations operating remotely or entirely virtually. Now, more than a year out from the global shift to the virtual workplace, people have become more accustomed to video conferencing and Zoom and other platforms. But as we explore returning to the office and hybrids of in-office work versus remote environments, it seems to me that I hear more questions around how to hold team members accountable So with that said, Carl, you serve as a senior leader for process improvement and program management. And today you're here to share more about forming virtual teams. But to get us started, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure, Aaron. Uh, I'm currently a senior consultant with Transforming Solutions, and I've got over 30 years of experience as both a consultant and as a corporate employee uh, in individual contributor roles as well as senior roles. This is, I think, my fifth tour of duty as a consultant. And I jumping back and forth between consultancies in corporate America, I've worked at five different corporations. I, I, I've had the benefit of leading uh, numerous local teams, but as well as teams that have both national and international footprints. Mm. Wow. Wow. So just to dive right in, I've never interviewed anyone for a role in an organization and that interviewee say, you know, I could really benefit from some good old fashioned micromanagement. (laughs) I really think that's a management style I've been missing out on. So, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but in your leadership via virtual teams, what are practical steps you utilize to manage instead of micromanage virtual employees in order to do what is right for the organization. That's an interesting point, Aaron. Nobody does want that. I believe what most employees want is is to do the right thing. And as a as a born pragmatist and maybe a little bit of a skeptic, I think even that was hard for me to come to understand is for the most part in the workplace, we've got mature, skilled, capable adults who want to do the right thing. What it boils down to from my perspective is engagement and enablement. Engagement is helping a team feel that they're involved, that they have a voice, they can make a difference, and that they're valued. Enablement's about giving them the tools and the backing they need to get their job done. Micromanagers don't do that. They're there to be task managers, oversee you, usually with a whip, rarely with the carrot, and make sure you're doing what you're trying to do. I didn't enjoy that, and I've tried very hard in my roles, whether it's virtual or on-prem, to treat my teams with with the respect by providing the engagement enablement they need. That's awesome. So it sounds like what I'm hearing, you know, for those of us who geek out on leadership theory, <laughs> it's it's a transformational approach to virtual teams as opposed to a transactional approach to virtual team management. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. I'm not sure I could definitely align with any one of the academic approaches, but I think it's, uh, let me use the word holistic. I think it's a holistic approach to getting work done as opposed to the minutia of micromanaging and getting involved at the transactional level. So yeah. That's awesome. So obviously the move from in-office productivity and management moved virtually due to the pandemic. Uh, you know, again, nice little joke. Somebody was talking to me the other day and they said, yeah, you know, with COVID-19, I was like, whoa, what's COVID? So just wanted to give them a hard time because, you know, nobody's oblivious to this, but some studies demonstrate an increase in productivity uh, since more work has moved virtually or remotely. In your leadership, what are the methods you incorporate to ensure productivity is both of high quality and productivity, or to use your words, engagement and enablement? I I think one of the first challenges, actually, Aaron, is is to define productivity and quality. Uh, Before I joined my last company in a senior IT leadership role, uh, the team was happily functioning. They had been around for a long time before I showed up. Uh, and there were no measures. There were no metrics that could define quality or productivity. They just didn't happen to have any gotchas that came up and got them in jeopardy with their business partners. But I think to create the environment of engagement and enablement, I laid out a map for them where we could benchmark our quality. And I asked the team to kind of fingerprint it put it in place, make it their own. So instead of coming up with the answer, I came up with a guiding framework and said, go build this so it works. Again, trusting in them as mature, capable adults wanting to do the right thing. We we measured what we did. We showcased it, whether it was good news or bad news, and we shared that with our business partners. And I worked to ensure that those internal customers knew the value that they were getting from the team I think having that backing enabled the team and made them feel that they could be more self-fulfilling because they knew they had air cover if and when it was needed. So you said so many good things that that caught my attention that I really want to do a deep dive into. But one aspect that you mentioned was benchmarking and trusting the team in place to create their or identify their own performance metrics or their own KPIs. What were some of, what are some best practices around guiding a team as they're developing their own benchmarks, metrics, and KPIs? Uh, I won't go so far as to say their best practices, but what, what, what I put in place with the team was, uh, kind of the laying of the land that said, look, we need something to demonstrate to our internal business partners what it is we do. And we can put all kinds of metrics in place. As IT geeks, we could have said X number lines of code per day. That would not have been a good measure because it wasn't meaningful to our customers. But if we could explain to our business partners that we kept the systems up and running 23 and a half hours a day, that's probably not good enough. That was then a meaningful metric to them. So with the guidance of we need to establish meaningful metrics for our customers, I asked each of the different groups within my team to find out what was meaningful to their customers and then see if we could come up with objective measures around that. 
I'm just taking notes here, Carl. This is good stuff. <laughs> so with everything that you've just laid out, we might ask the question, well, then how would you balance risk, cost, and value in the benchmarking, the metrics, the KPIs, your internal customers? What are some methods that you utilize to balance that risk, cost, and value? Aaron, it's funny that you say that because that that was a, an underlying principle that our CIO used to mention to us all the time was balance, cost, risk, and value. So it was kind of drilled into our heads. I, I think the way that we tried to balance that was looking at the effort it would take to measure quality. Uh, one of the things that we did from a productivity standpoint was measure our time. And that was the productive time that we put into solving problems for the company. We could have measured that down to five-minute increments, but that would have taken a lot more work, would have been distracting for employees, and probably wouldn't have added a lot of value to our internal customers. Instead, we chose half-hour increments, easier to measure, probably a little bit more meaningful for our business partners. So whenever we looked at something, we, we wanted to make sure that uh, perfection didn't get in the way of good enough. And that helped us to assess how much effort we wanted to put into solving a problem or challenging a risk versus the value that we'd get out of it. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So I, w- I want to circle back just a little bit uh, to what might be, some might consider leadership and company culture ideals. Specifically, how do you empower virtual employees to be thoughtful and purposeful in their work activities? I think one of the first things I did was I made sure to treat the remote folks the same as the on-prem employees. Everyone had a job to do. Everyone had their daily, weekly, monthly to-do list. Uh, They had skills and capabilities. That's why they were hired. So kind of going back to engagement and enablement, if they felt that they were in charge of what they did, and they had buy-in to the vision and strategy that I had sketched out, they felt part of the organization wherever they sat. They weren't just a cog in the wheel, but they were a valuable part of contributing to our success. They were empowered, and I think it kind of got rid of location. Location was no longer a concern. So I was in the middle of the country with team members in Texas, New Jersey, and in Ohio, and it, it, it began to go away. It didn't matter. We certainly had technology to support us, and this was before the pandemic. Uh, but I think it was the underlying, I, I'm going to keep going back to those two as kind of my mantra, the engagement and the enablement uh, got them the empowerment to do their job. And kind of a question to go along with that is, you know, in the past, 10, 20 years, the importance of mission and vision with any type of organization, whether it be for-profit or non-profit, has always been at the forefront. And so what are some ways that you keep not just the company policies, but the overall goal of the organization in front of virtual employees? I think it's taking it out of the idea of the corporate mission and really decomposing it or digesting it down to the level of the individual contributors. So it's 
It's practical. It's tactile. It's something they can really get their head around. Uh, and that became a challenge for a technology team. When a, when a corporate goal was meeting the needs of our customers, so these were insurance policyholders, it's hard to explain to a programmer that they actually can contribute to policy owner well-being. Once we cracked that nut by showing them the intricate path backwards from policy writing to an application to the system that enabled them to log in to the code that they were building, contributors, again, regardless of where they sat, could align themselves to a personal goal that then supported the corporate goal. And again, I think that kept them engaged because they understood how they aligned to the corporate mission and vision. Fantastic. Fantastic. One last question. Again, it's it's a cultural question around leading virtual teams, but we briefly touched upon transactional versus transformational. And I understand that you may not necessarily put some of these experiences in those terms, but how would you, or what would you recommend to other leaders of virtual teams? What would you recommend maybe one or two actions to help foster an attitude uh, for, to ensure the business partners or clients success? Well, you just used a key word, Aaron. I think that's, that's attitude. And, and one of the things that I did was put down on paper and kind of asked everyone to print it out and stick it up on their bulletin board at home or hang it in their cube was some values and key assumptions for the organization. And let me just give you a hint at what those looked like, because I think they were really important uh, for the people to, to understand the culture we were facing as a distributed team. Uh, values were do what's right for the company. Now that sounds easy to say, and it took a lot to peel the onion on that and determine how one could implement that concept. But it was important that that was our, our, our number one value as a team. Uh, another one was uh, focus on quality. And what that meant is regardless of where you sat, regardless of your specific job, quality needed to be top of mind. Again, these are high level concepts that I think give people the backbone and the degrees of freedom to go do their job. Assumptions that I published were asking questions is okay and it's expected. Back to your concept on micromanagement, nobody wants a micromanager, but they do know, they do want to know that they have a leader they can go to and safely ask stupid questions. That was an assumption I put out to the team that anytime they needed to ask, there was no downside to asking questions. And the last one I'll highlight, though this, they weren't, this wasn't all of them, is that mistakes will happen and being wrong is okay. And I think that goes back to your cost, value, and risk. We weren't going to overwork ourselves to prevent all mistakes. We certainly didn't want to celebrate having them. But when we did, what was important for the team to understand is how they responded to those mistakes. And it, it, these assumptions and values enabled a very distributed team that was national to come together and work in a unified way that, that got us to be very successful with our business partners. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love those answers. Uh, one thing I say from time to time is that if you work virtually, it feels like the metaphorical or proverbial water cooler is missing in the workplace, that you don't know exactly who you can walk down and waste your time at the water cooler with 
and ask questions or, you know, foster those relationships. So I think uh, these steps are phenomenal for people who are working uh, in a virtual environment. So with that said, Carl, you've given us a ton of great information today uh, that points us in a great direction with virtual teams. Are there any additional pieces of advice or bits of wisdom you might leave with us today that would pertain to managing virtual organizations? I, I think the key takeaway, Aaron, is the challenge is really incumbent on the leader to understand, provide trust, and try to treat the virtual team just as they would an on-premise team. If they wouldn't be walking the floor every five minutes looking over people's shoulders <laughs> on-prem, they probably shouldn't do that to a virtual team either. So as much as possible, if we can treat remote workers the same or a virtual team the same as an on-prem team, I think that'll help the leaders understand their approach better. That is phenomenal advice. And you've got the gears in my head turning uh, with everything that you've shared with us today. Carl, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We greatly appreciate your insights, and we know that our listeners are going to do nothing but benefit from your experience. Thank you so much. Awesome. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Aaron.